everybody. This is the Revoe Root Podcast, and today we're going to have Nate McMurray on. He was a candidate in the New York 27th Congressional District. How are you doing, Nate? Good. Is it? I always called you Ravo. It's Revoe. Revoe, yeah. <laughs> I think uh, I think we met one time before. Um, it was really quick. That was awkward. I basically I shook your hand at I forget where it was. Um, it was like at the Livingston County dinner, I think. Um, and oh, I always okay. told Austin, like, I wish I introduced myself because, <laughs> but yeah. Um, but yeah, how are you doing tonight, Nate? I'm good. And what, can I really ask you, what is, what is, what is the root of that name? Where does the uh, name come from? Is it a family name? Yeah. So cool. it's a good name. I like the name. It's easy to remember. What a great name. Revo Root. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. So <laughs> the Revo is actually French. I've only got like 2% French with that ancestry DNA stuff. And uh, the root part is English, which I, I'm very, my, to my grandfather's dismay, uh, very English. He thinks we're all Irish, but Root is so English and he's like a hundred percent English. He's thought he's Irish his whole life. And it's yeah. uh, <laughs> a lot of people like that in America that just don't know. But your your name is uh, if, you, if you run for office someday, it's going to be a great name for you. Yeah, well, thank you. I appreciate that. And just to start off, I I want to say that for myself and so many other young people in the state and also across the country, uh, you are a true inspiration to us and. You're the way you fought, especially in rural America, um, against so many different odds and the performance that you showed and how well you did fighting for, you know, common sense solutions, but what many would call far left policies. Uh, it means so much to so many people who I went to high school with, to college with. Um, everywhere I go, they constantly admired your run, as did I. So thank you for doing that. Um, we all really appreciate it. Oh my goodness. Well, that's very touching. And, uh, I appreciate it. Bro. It's a, it was, uh, it was an exciting, thrilling time in my life. And, uh, I, I'm grateful for the opportunity to stand up for the things I believe in and regarding your description of them as, as left. I think that's part of the problem is that, you know, people throw up labels rather than talking about solutions. Um, and you can see like what's happening in Florida and elsewhere where they pass like, you know, a higher minimum wage or, you know, when you put these things in the ballot, they pass even in Republican areas. But for some reason, when you label them as, as leftist or progressive or as Democrat, um, Republican voters don't vote for the candidates that represent these ideas. So it, it's a struggle, especially in rural New York and places like that. But I'm proud to have fought for what I believe in. Yeah, and I mean, that's that's exactly what we need. We need a fighter like you. I I wish that, you know, it would have worked out and you would have pulled it out. You came so close against Chris Collins. And uh, that's actually what my first question is going to be. I, I think some people in, uh, in the political sphere there call Chris Collins um, swamp thing. And uh, what was it like to run against him? I mean, it, it must have been just insane with the celebrities when he got indicted. Um, you know, what was that like? Well, it was well, it was two things. First of all, I want to say. Close against Chris Collins, but we also came close against Chris Jacobs. And if I look back, 
that race stings more than the Chris Collins race because Chris Collins was terribly popular. I mean, people don't realize that we had the data and for some reason he was popular partially because he was an incumbent and you know, that gives you a huge advantage because people had seen him for years, believe it or not. And although Democrats despised him, a lot of people that were just party regulars or, and also the Trump supporters, they really liked him because he was the first one to support Trump. I remember where even after he was convicted, I think, the Buffalo News did a poll, and he was still the most popular Republican <laughs> in the region. Uh, even after so, – so it was it – was, but it wasn't like running against him. Well, I, well listen, he was uh, – I, I don't know. I don't, I don't want – he's a character. I mean he's a strange guy. He would um, – He's almost like a throwback in a lot of ways to a different time. Um, you know, he, he, in a lot of ways, he's two-dimensional because he seems like a, um, like a storybook villain or something. Um, and just the way he ran and the way he hid from me, and, and he was just so openly devious about it. But in some ways, I can kind of respect that versus a guy like Chris Jacobs because you knew who he was. He would say openly, these are the things I stand for, and – um, I'm a rotten guy and you deal with it. That was kind of his attitude since he was also in Erie County. So what was it like to run against him? It was the first half of the race was, um, terribly isolating because again, he was an incumbent who had the support of president Trump and no one thought we had a chance. And we had not only no support, we had open hostility, even from the party establishment in some places, uh, in Erie County. It's like, you just, you know, they wouldn't even let me in the office. They wouldn't hang my signs up. Um, some of the guys in my campaign may have told you. We, we <laughs> one time we we marched in a parade and they wouldn't put up McMurray signs on the on the uh, float for the for the for the county party. Jeez. So that was hurtful. And like we felt very very isolated. So we would do things to get attention, like we did the uh, smash up derby, which looking back is very very um, naive, but it actually worked. And, you know, people were really excited when we did the Smash Up Derby and we got a lot of support and the, the paper covered it. And, but, like, we were so out we – we were our chances were so low in the first half of that campaign that it often felt like um, we were abandoned. And I'm not the only one who ever ran in NY27 and feels that way. I think if you talk to Diana Kastenbaum who ran before me, she'd probably say the exact same thing. You know, Democrats just never got any support in NY27. And I'm sure a lot of other districts across the country. And which was weird because when I first ran, they did their best to kind of, I'm talking about the National Party, they were relatively supportive. But as soon as you actually committed, it was almost like they just disappeared. So that was the first half. But once he was indicted, it was a whirlwind. It was exciting. And like there was a lot of national attention. Um, and also strange things happened because we started to have money come in, uh, support came in. And then you see the same people that a few months earlier and the, the you know politicians who were just ignoring you suddenly were coming to my campaign and asking for money. So it was it was it was eye opening. But um, I think one of my favorite things I've ever done in politics was my last month running against uh, running against um, Collins because it was so much fun and there was so much camaraderie in our office and just such a good and positive feeling that we were doing the right thing and fighting for a just cause. Uh, so it was, it was an exciting time. I think um, I, it was also eye-opening. The last thing I'll say about it was 
he became suddenly a uh, um, a lot of people were interested in him. There was a lot of local and national interest in him. He sold papers because he was a a criminal. Yeah. And um, you know, one of the things that's disheartening is the attention or the special treatment he received from uh, newspapers and from local media, who you know he would exchange his celebrity or notoriety for attention. So the last few weeks of the campaign, he was like the last week of the campaign, which is usually against the Sanders and most um, reputable newspapers. There's a huge cover story of him on the front page of the Buffalo News, like, you know, painting him as this father who was trying to save his son. And that was the reason why he engaged in this uh, insider trading. Um, and then there was also several local um, rather flattering newspaper, uh, excuse me, local news pieces on him. So, you know, I think he was actually a very crafty guy who was able to sell or market his celebrity for favorable media coverage. And then, of course, he wouldn't debate me. And there's the famous videos or famous at the time anyway, where we would just track him down and like yeah, wait for him. So, <laughs> so, yeah, so I, I, I guess there's a lot of, a lot of words there, but I'll say it was, it was an exciting experience. It was an eye-opening experience about how politics actually works and about um, just especially in places where the Democratic Party is, is less interested and also how the media works. Um, so yeah, I hope that makes sense if you got all that. No, definitely. And I know that when I was – I managed Austin's campaign and just, you know, especially people put more trust into – the local newspaper and the local media than the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal and the Economist. And it's like, you know, right. these these people sometimes do a good job, but many, many times are so implicitly biased against specifically Democrats, um, act like they're in the middle and they're non-biased, and that's just not true. Um, and you just you'll have reporters reach out and act nice, and then they basically drop a bomb on you of, and you're like, what is this? Like, what is this story? Why would I, you know, I didn't say this, I didn't act like this, or they take quotes that are misleading, and that is a ma you hit that on the head that that's a major problem in our media right now, um, especially local media because the new look the New York Times. Uh, the Wall Street Journal, like I said, they're going to get the story and they're going to be able to get to at least the crux of the situation of what's going on. And locally, right. a lot doesn't do that. It's bare bones. What's going to sell? Hey, we're already kind of struggling. How are we going to get the papers out? Because we might sh shut down tomorrow. So it ends up being, you know, OANN. Like yes. I, I remember Austin one time at, at the first debate we went to, it was like George Borrello's debate. And it was against a Republican, uh, Kirk Crandall. And the newspaper just raved, this young kid was making faces the whole time. Look, it was me making faces. <laughs> Austin oh was stone-faced. And they just took a picture of his nose out. And it's like, I just see that all the time with you in like the Buffalo News where things are misquoted clearly. Things that they cherry pick things about you, what you've written, and then put it in mm -hmm. there like, oh, this is what he's all about. And it, it frankly, it, it can portray you as this bad guy. And that's far from the truth. To me, you're somebody who's fighting for the greater good and trying to unite us 
not divide us. You're, you're looking for the common solution. And like I said in the beginning, something that should be and is in almost every other European country, common right. sense. It's common sense, you know, having, having a universal health care, being able to have a fifth, uh, living wage. Um, those green energy solutions that work for all of us, um, not having the richest corporations just dominate and then basically trickle down economics, of course, which is a joke, doesn't work. And the news, and basically what I'm trying to say is the news and local media does not cover it. They don't want to dig deep into issues, and that's a problem. Well, I'm writing a book about my experiences now only because I think a lot of what I experienced represents the weaknesses or the flaws currently in American democracy. And one of the areas where it's flawed is uh, the dearth of media coverage or a strong media coverage. I don't think the media is the enemy of the people. I wish we had more media that was actually good because what you get in rural New York is right-wing radio or blog sites that pose as legitimate media sources. And for whatever reason, the well, there's been a concerted effort in America to um, use propaganda to spread right-wing you know, talking points, and they've trickled down. The only thing that's trickled down is these right-wing uh, right talking points. Yeah. Um, so, and then, you know, in places like the Buffalo News, which has some really great people there um but the political coverage is certainly uh, it's it's pro-establishment and anti um anti-progressive there's no there can be no doubt about it read the editorial pages and if you look at the um opinion pieces reading written about me they're either scandalous like they're completely they take something that's nothing and they make it into something or they bend over backwards to uh to not endorse me like they'll even they'll even compliment me. They'll say he's smart, he's a capable, he's resolute. But this minor thing over here is the real problem. So this other guy, we're gonna forget every single thing he's ever done. <laughs> you know, like and if I, like let's be honest, if I had the personal problems or the you know the public problems like some of these candidates have, they would kill me. They they literally have to find the most strange things to talk about. I think a because I do sell newspapers for whatever reason. And uh, not to be arrogant about it, but there, there's some truth to that. I, I can't believe the things they've done full-page stories about. I'm like, they did a full-page page story about the fact that I took my kid's bike once. <laughs> I mean, do you remember that? Yes, I do. And that it was, it was such, it was a funny story. It wasn't something that was scandalous or wrong. I, I remember exactly when that happened. And yeah, they did make they made a huge deal out of it, and it doesn't uh, they, they, make they did sense. A whole page. They did a whole story about – I mean they did multiple stories I think about my uh, sleeveless T-shirt I wore one time to a protest. So like you know, <laughs> acting like I was some type of savage. Um, you know, and I've had – you know, I think, I think they're in a desperate position. I think they have to sell newspapers and even though there's very talented people there, there's also people there that, that are completely politically biased. And I, that doesn't mean that it's the enemy of the people, but God, I'd love to have the Courier Express back, the whole newspaper. So we had – we could have a point counterpoint because right now you get one point and that's it. And honestly, sooner or later, this is the real scary thing. If the Buffalo news is gone, all you'll have is right wing radio and absurd local television news. Yeah. So like, so I think to, to be have a strong democracy, you need to educate the populace. And part of that is having the fourth estate 
And I think the fourth estate is either co sometimes compromised or underfunded or uh, just plain weak or not, worst of all, non-existent. NY27 is famous for so-called news deserts where there is no real news and the places where you like, and so there's places where I've said this and some of these local bloggers and places like Batavia get mad at me. I'm, but I've said there, there are times when I was running against Chris Collins where people did not know he was indicted. They, they thought it was so-called fake news. So, so I think, do I think that I've gotten unfavorable coverage? Yes, but it's also given me name recognition because only the people inside the loop really read the Buffalo News. Um, and it, more than anything, people just look at the pictures and they see a picture of me. And by the way, Buffalo News, if you're listening, I'd love you to use an actual good picture of me once. Um, the picture they used was so ridiculous. But um, uh, the, <laughs> so many times I'm like, where did they get that picture? But, but, but worse than that is the fact that I think there's just an absence of news in a lot of places in rural New York. Yeah. Like if you, what, what we're saying about this, Bravo. Uh, I mean, no, rather. no, definitely. Um, that's, I think you're definitely right. There's a news desert there. And then people turn on the radio and they'll hear Caputo and they'll hear nonsense. Right. And nonsense. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that just brings me to the question of the follow up of, you know, and I think you made a good point about this too. Chris Jacobs. To me, is worse than Chris Collins in the fact that I feel like he doesn't stand for anything. I feel like, or I shouldn't say I feel like, I know that he doesn't stand for anything, that whoever, you know, he's out to please whoever he needs to please. And before he acted, you know, oh, look, I'm a moderate. And now he's, you know, I love President, former President Trump. Um, I want to, I'm going to do everything I can to hold what, you know, and then he says the things like, oh, I accidentally voted. I mean, he's it's crazy. It's crazy. He, what do you think crazy. about that? They endorsed, they endorsed a guy who accidentally voted. I mean, it's shocking. They endorsed, they, listen, they endorsed a guy that um, completely changed his positions overnight. Because he's friends, he's friends with people on the editorial board. It, it, listen, okay, love two things. Back to the whole, the lack of news. Look, when I was a kid, the Tonawana newspaper it was called the Tonawana News. I used to deliver it. They had a full sports team <laughs> that covered local sports. Okay, the local Tonawana newspaper. They had a full. Like I, like I know some of the guys that are older now that were journalists for that paper, like legitimate journalists who had a career at the Tonawana News. Then it became like a penny saver type thing. Then it became almost nothing, and now it doesn't exist. So and that's just one little town newspaper. And if you look at what's happening, I mean, are you are, are any of us confident the Buffalo News will exist in, in a year or two years? No. Like, yeah, exactly. So even though I think that the Buffalo News is biased, I think there is sometimes legitimate news in there. The problem – okay, Chris Jacobs, he's just a complete phony. And if anyone thinks he's not, his statements have shifted so much, so, dra so dramatically. And worse than that, he's had a terrible run as a, as a public servant. And he's done things like voting where a place where he didn't live and have been given a pass for it where other people have literally been convicted for less. So, like, so why do I think that this man who has such an you know, unfavorable record and is so um, – so unqualified, really, and unfit. Well, he's wealthy. 
which is another problem with politics. I mean, the fact that it costs so much to run and the fact that we outraised Chris Jacobs, despite his billionaire family, um, is kind of amazing because we did it with small dollar donations. We never, never took a dollar of corporate money. But Chris Jacobs, I think, is the epitome of what's wrong with politics in America today. He's a guy who doesn't really feel passionate about anything. Um, it's pretty clear that he's representing the business interests of his family. And this, this, to think that we live in one of the poorest regions in America, one of the poorest regions in the country, and I, people cringe when I say that. I'm like, it's a fact. It's just Look, a, it's a fact, exactly. It's, yeah. I've lived, I lived it's, there for you know, uh, 15 years in rural Wyoming County. It's a fact. It's, it is a fact. It's not, um, it's not me criticizing or making fun of the people who live here. I'm one of the people who live here. I struggled here. I have family who struggles here. I know. But one of the poorest places in America, and we have one of the most wealthy Congress people, and his family is, is maybe the, you know, the top 20 most wealthy families in America. And, you know, I don't know that number for, you know, exactly, but they're close. And so, so they have this, these billions. They own, you know, major league sports teams and all this land. They live next door to Trump in Mar-a-Lago. And they own three casinos in the district. So it's just, it's just like this wishy-washy, say-anything-to-get-elected guy who is completely inept, who has a track record of doing nothing in politics, who has this super wealthy family that basically controls this area financially. It's 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 almost like symbolic of the of the absolute corruption and dysfunction of the modern American political system. Yeah, and I mean, here's here's the other thing, listeners. Uh, watch Tom Reed run for governor in twenty two, and some of you gonna go, man, why is he running for governor? That seems like that's a death wish. He's definitely gonna lose. Well, I'll tell you why he's running for governor. It's because Chris Jacobs has all the money, and if they primary. Chris Jacobs' family is going to spend all the money to get him elected, and Tom Reed can't match that. So now he's all, all bah humbug, the governor. <laughs> he, well, that's why he's going to run. Tom Reed can't match it, and if he takes one for the team and runs against the governor, guess who can match it? The Jacobs. Through exactly. their many, many tentacles of, of influence, they can say, hey, buddy. We'll set you. I mean, I I have no evidence this happens, but I know this. I know this type of thing happens all the time, and I know they spread money around like crazy. Um, you know, you don't think they could uh, use their influence to, to maybe land them a position at one of their entities, or somewhere else, or maybe at some associate entity? Absolutely. And I'm sorry if people think that that companies that have this much money don't use their lobbyists to extend to extend that type of influence. Well, then you're just, you're fooling yourself. And Chris Jacobs was not just unpopular among Democrats. He was terribly unpopular among Republicans. Remember, he was primary by Stefan Mahailu and Beth Parlato and originally Rob Ort, Senator Rob Ort. They all primaried him. And Rob Ort backed out so he would take a deal and become the, the head of the, um, the Republicans in Albany. And, uh, you know, uh, Parlato suffered a horrible defeat, and so did my. Even though they're lifelong conservatives, I don't like. You know, I don't certainly don't like Stephen Mahalo, but or his what he stands for. But among that base, he should have had a chance, but he didn't because of the dominance of. And if you talk to people one on one, do you like Chris Jacobs? 
it's hard to find someone who will say yes, especially now. Most of his support came from Democrats once upon a time because they considered him a moderate, nice guy until he went full in on Trump. So, yeah, I think that the influence of Cash and the influence of his family in Western New York um, is formidable, and it's going to get worse because you're going <laughs> to – if the districts consolidate, he's – He's going to have an even easier and bigger district to win than NY27, which was already super easy for him to win, completely lopsided for a Republican. Yeah. I mean, and that's that's the thing, How, especially if they make that mega bleeding dark red Republican district of tw- combined 23 and 27, put them together, and then just make it go out. It's like 13 counties or something crazy. That's going to be an absolute mess. And also you're going to see – congressman jacobs for years and years and years and years it's just never going to end um but go well, on i'm not sure he can re i'm not listen the, the goal there is to make him rise in the ranks yeah i mean the, the family has a goal um it's you know it's the dream of uh of uh you know it's the dream of it was a dream of don corleone from michael corleone once upon a time too you know <laughs> <laughs> so like you know they want they want to move beyond the casino business and get some legitimacy, I guess. Um, you know, I don't know. And you'd think his vote for the Sedition Caucus, his vote to undermine our democracy would damn his political career. But he's proven time and time again that if you have enough money, it heals a lot of mistakes. And it's not just him. You know, his his family is related to the Palladino family. So you have the two of the most wealthy families in New York State. Now they're going to have a district the size of, I don't know, of a country um, if that new district is formed. And, um, you know, the party loves them. And here's a sad thing. This is the hard thing for people, maybe your listeners to understand is it's not just the party that loves them. It's a lot of people in the Democratic Party that love them because they spread the money around. Look at the donations of, of the Del- Delaware North and where they go and where they've gone. It's all public information. They, they, you know, they've raised a lot of money for Democrats and Republicans. So, and I'm sure they're lobbying like crazy right now, in any way that they can, to make sure that Chris gets a favorable district. And and it looks like we predicted when I was running against him, we we're gonna say like Tom Reed's gonna leave, he's gonna run for governor, and Chris is gonna get this new district, and we're never gonna get rid of him. And uh, so, you know, not only is he not resigning. And by the way, the Democrats that are his colleagues in Congress should be demanding that he resigns. They haven't. They haven't said a word, which don't you think is kind of weird? Yeah, exactly. And, why is that? They haven't said a word. <laughs> yeah, why? And, and, and now you're going to have him uh, stuck in that seat forever. And, you know, and he's not the sharpest tool. In the, he's, not, he's not the best and brightest of Western New York. I'll put it that way. You know, you've seen him on stage live with me twice. So this is the guy representing us. And do you really, and like, do you really think he's going to help turn around this region? No, definitely not. I mean, and the other thing you touched on as well is that he does not in any way, shape, or form represent the farmer in Perry who's struggling because he his, the milk prices are terrible, and he and he's not fighting for that guy. He can go to that farm and say, hey, John, I'm going to take a picture with you, okay? Have a good one, John. And, you know, that's two minutes of Chris Jacobs. But he <laughs> – He's not going to fight to help the farmers get better. You know what's so funny is like, you know, like the funny thing is they try to paint me as some kind of outsider. Like even though my family had a farm here and we grew up, I grew up here. 
So like, you know how I campaigned. I never wore a shirt and tie. I would wear jeans and boots. And at first people used to laugh. They're like, what is he wearing? It's so funny to see. And it wasn't a gimmick. I just traveled around so much by myself that I had to be comfortable. I couldn't wear a tie. I, I tried to wear a tie in the beginning. I'm like, I got to go to four towns today. There's no way I can wear a suit and tie. I'm going to look like a mess by the time I get. So I started wearing like just like a button down and jeans. Chris used to go wear his suit and tie everywhere. And when I came so close in that special election, I noticed the next election, he started like dressing like Nate McMurray, trying to be like a clone. He was wearing jeans. Must have done a poll. <laughs> I guarantee I, I they thought, did. Go ahead. I guarantee they did a poll about how, how do you want your congressman to look like me? So they're like, okay, <laughs> here you go. I, I couldn't believe on, it. I, I'm like, this guy never wore jeans in his life. And here he is. I mean, like, guys, uh, he is. I have nothing against somebody being wealthy, especially if they made the money themselves and they worked hard. Go ahead. This is America. I have somewhat, I guess something against somebody who is born into nearly infinite wealth and acts like they're one of us and pushes for policies that guarantees that they will never lose a dime and you will never get a chance to, to climb that ladder at all. And that's who Chris Jacobs is, and that's what he represents. Yeah, I I definitely agree. And when you were on the campaign, uh, I remember former President Trump doing a robocall against you. And I, I know when I heard that, that was uh, being a fan of yours. That was a surreal moment for me. Like, wow, this is crazy. Like, there, this is going to be insane. And it was for the special election, I believe, um, which was really, really close as well no. um, the special election was five percentage points and we lost 14 i think we, we according to our numbers we lost fourteen thousand democrats in erie county which is heartbreaking Fourteen thousand people yeah fourteen thousand. i mean i'm just gonna be honest it's gonna haunt me for the rest of my life Fourteen thousand of our people voted for chris jacobs in erie county which is more than the gap it's twice it's almost three times the gap and um you know, and that's that's supposed to be a Democratic stronghold. We ended up losing it by one percent, the Erie County. If we would have performed there just what we're supposed to perform and, and had our share of the Democrats, we would have won that a special election easily. And uh, a lot of people voted for the name Jacobs. I mean, their names on the university, their names on the hospital, but they ended up getting a, a guy that was a member of the Sedition Caucus. And I learned during that campaign, a lot of people said to me, well, you know, um, their family's a good family. I would say, hear this. And I'm like, wait a second. I, 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 why do you say that? And no one could really tell me why. And I realized a lot of people just worship wealth. They don't even know where the wealth came from. Um, and also, you know, I think the party was not exactly pushing. Well, I know, I don't want to get into too much of the nitty gritty, but we, we had zero support from Erie County Dems. I'll just put it that way. And you know, Austin, he can vouch for this. It was, it was not only. When I say Erie County Dems, I don't mean the individual committee members. A lot of them were great. But from the, the infrastructure at the top, they were um, just not interested. It, it, yeah, frankly, they were more they were malicious. They were not just not interested. They were malicious. And um, uh, to your original point about the, uh, the special election and Trump, Trump not only did a robocall. Well, first is, is – what's her name? Kimberly Guilfoyle did a, did a town hall. Where she said, she said, McMurray is not the kind of guy we want. We want the people that signed the back, the front of the checks, not the back of the checks. <laughs> she said, basically, we want rich people. 
And she had a whole town hall against me. And I was like, wow, this is crazy. And then Donald Trump Jr. did a couple tweets where he video corporate and he said, Nate McMurray's a threat to democracy. He's the next AOC. I was like, yeah, I took that for a compliment. And then Trump did the robocall and they must have still had polling saying I was super close, right? So then Trump did the town hall, which was surreal because they because they did it with the boss of my old company, Delaware North. Oh wow, so I didn't Trump, know that. That's insane. You know, they sent out a link. It was it was Elise Stefanik, Trump, the head of the Republican Party, I can't remember her name, Jacobs. And um, in that in that town hall, Trump said, I spoke to McMurray's boss. He's a good friend of mine. And he's knows he's a terrible, like, you know, then he went into the whole, you know, <laughs> like, well, I am a horrible human being and said all these horrible lies about me. And here's the funny thing is, and meanwhile, the Buffalo News was writing stories saying that Delaware North had nothing to do with um, Chris. And I'm like, well, Trump seems to think they do. So, yeah, it was it was surreal to hear Trump say my name when I know he knows not a thing about me. And to have him openly lie. I mean, look at your listeners. Trump said I sent millions of jobs to China. Now, we know that's not true. I never sent a job to China. So, like, it's they'll, they'll say or do anything to win. And, yeah, Trump facing Trump one-on-one was weird. Facing Bannon one-on-one was weird. And, you know, I, you could probably hear it in my voice. There's a sense of pride in it because I faced these people at this horrible time in this country's history. But it's also, um, you know, you know, there's also a little bit of sadness in my voice because we came so close and I'm fighting Trump and no counterpunch came. You know, nobody on the Democratic side got the phone and said, let's do a town hall for Nate to drive out the vote. Uh, you know what I mean? Like you think if Trump and Elise Stefanik and the head of the Republican Party are having a town hall against me, that maybe there would be some interest from the Democratic Party to say, why don't we do a call for Nate? And uh, it never happened. We were seriously on our own. Yeah. And that's – it's just saying, you know, we need to unite the party. The party has got to be united. It's not – the party has to be ways. united as long as we have a moderate who will do what we want and say well what said. we want when we need them to. It's not yeah. only unite when it's convenient to you. If you're going to yeah. preach unity, no. then let's talk about unity and do it. You know, Let's have that counterpunch and you have the resources available. Use the resources. Get it done. And look, people are going to be happier and it's going to make a difference in rural America, that in rural, especially in rural New York. And that is when so they, unfortunate. That Rambo, that when they say unity, they say conformity. They don't want – they want unity for their purposes, not I – mean, look, at, when did we get in our heads that primaries are a bad thing? Like why is a primary a bad thing? It's not. Like, before – listen, it was the thing I'll say. When I, before I got into politics – I had no idea there was a party boss. That sounded like something from like China or something or some, you know, some other country. I didn't know there was party bosses that chose candidates. Did you? I had no clue. I, didn't. I thought just people said, hey, I'm going to run for office. Like there's this whole filtering and screening system. And, you know, I've learned that they don't want you to take the wheel. They want you to cheer their race. And, you know, I think that needs to change. If you really want a dynamic party, if it was up to me, 
I'd have young people across Western New York run for primaries all over the place. Just run, run for everything. And the fact that you're doing this podcast, I wish there was 50,000 podcasts like this. Get the word out because we got it. We're not just battling, you know, um, we're battling. Like I said, you're also trying to battle the right wing media sphere and the right wing radio. So we need more progressive content. But we also like this, this like party unity thing. That's usually a way of saying shut up. And, you know, and a lot of it, like par- party politics, like I'm a Democrat because I believe in the ideas, not because I support the machine. That seems so there's something about that. We, when you're part of a team and you're all pulling for the same ideas and you're working together and you decide this is what we're going to do, that's a beautiful thing. But when you're told this is what you're going to do or get out of the room, that's un-American. So, you know, yeah, I think that really needs a change. And, I, you know, you can probably – anyone who worked on my campaign will tell you. We were a good team, good people working hard, and we had the support of people. It was very difficult. When we didn't have, when I couldn't, here, I'll make it simple. I didn't talk to the party chair in Erie County for almost three years. He wouldn't take my phone call when I was running for Congress. And there was never a fight, blowout. He just didn't like the fact, well, there was, you know, we didn't support him. We didn't give him the money when he asked for money a few times. But other than that, that was the only real um, uh, uh, blowout or, or, you know, disagreement that we had. He just didn't like the fact that I was not part of his system. And that's not something that I like. And probably a lot of people listening to this don't like it either. Yeah. And I mean, to make it even more simple, when LeBron has a, a wide open three to win the game, uh, mm-hmm. Contavious Caldwell Pope doesn't take the shot or and he chooses <laughs> not to pass to him. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's mm-hmm. basically down to the most sim- simple level. You know, right. if you have a star player, and they have they're wide open for three, and you're down by two. You give them the damn ball. Give them the ball. <laughs> get out of the way. Damn shot. Exactly. Well, well, here's the thing. I'm not LeBron, but listen, if you got a guy who can hit the three in the corner, you don't like you don't you put him in the post and say shut up. You, you know, use people for what they're good at. Use their skills, or I don't know. We had, I'll put it this way: we had a real good chance to win two years in a row, and there was wasn't the appetite to get it done from the party. And I'm not talking. I think, and I think, if you hear the word party, and you're in part of the Democratic Party, I'm not talking about you. I'm not talking about people who are on committees who are working hard. Those are the people that had our back. I'm talking about people who had access to funds, access to national players, who just weren't interested in pulling levers to make us get across the finish line. Yeah, yeah. And, and if you're going to say, well, Nate, you could have done this, 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 the other thing, a lot of people say, well, you should have run towards the middle. Give me a break. The only reason we had a chance to win is because people felt sincerity in my voice. They knew I was a real person. They knew I wasn't fake. And those progressive ideas. Because we live in a, in a, in a partisan era, and if you really want people to fight for you, you've got to energize the base. And the reason why we came so close in the first election is because we energized the base enough to, to, to have some bleed over into Republicans and conservatives. And then in the special, it was pure Drive. We drove out the vote. We drove out the, the progressive vote and the Democratic vote because people were excited about the message. I, I, and if you look at the Democrats who ran on the western, eastern side of the district, like Samara Brook and those others, they ran progressive campaigns. They killed it last time. If you look at the Erie County approach where we're going to run moderate candidates, they squeaked in even in very blue areas in the assembly and, and 
um, and elsewhere. So, you know, I believe you run in a passionate campaign about what you believe in and uh, let the consequences go where they may. Yeah. And it just, it just hearing you talk, it reminds me a lot of, and people aren't going to like that I say this, the Bernie versus Hillary factor, you know, the Bernie Sanders versus Clinton, the, you know, progressive versus the moderate. And just what we saw amongst people in the DNC who were basically like, this guy can't win. This guy can't win. This guy can't win. And I've heard, you know, I've heard from people who are in the party and they they were like, look, I'm not voting for this guy. If he wins, I'm not voting. I'm like, look, I'm going to vote for now President Biden if he wins. Now, is he my first, second, or third choice in the primary? Definitely not. Um, do I think he's a good man who will help our country a ton? And by the way, has now, uh, especially with today, 200 million vaccine doses, again, the defense production. production yeah, including my mom got her vaccine today. God bless her. There you go. Yeah. And I mean, it just reminds me of that though, Nate, like, it's like, why are we dividing our party? Because well, well, people two, are more progressive. Two things. I'll, I'll never say a bad word about Joe Biden because I, all these things I said about the party elite not helping us, Joe Biden did. And I want to remind the people out there, when I was running against Chris Collins and Joe Biden came, Joe Biden was not on the radar anymore. We picked him up at the airport, me and my brother, by ourselves. Okay? Like, he didn't have an entourage. This was not a presidential candidate. In fact, when we told him to run for president, he laughed at us and acted like his career in politics was over. I mean, it's crazy how much three years can change things. Now, he might have been playing coy, but it certainly seemed like he didn't want to do it again. <laughs> um, and, 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 you know, so I wanted to say that. Shout out to him. On to Bernie Sanders. I don't understand it. I, I I remember when Hillary Clinton came here, and I'm not a Hillary hater either. I wasn't a big supporter. and neither am I. I voted I, for Hillary. Like I, so I, did I. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm but I vote but I supported her Bernie Sanders in the primary. I love Bernie Sanders, and I when I say that people cringe. I'm like, why? They 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 seem like they're digging for reasons to hate him. This is a guy who spent his whole life fighting fighting for progressive ideas. Now, is he perfect? Absolutely not. He's not a Democrat, which some of the Democratic elite they don't like, but he fights for the values that a lot of Democrats believe in, and he's definitely influenced the party in a positive way, maybe pushing us towards a more progressive path. That And progressives got behind Joe Biden like crazy, including me. Um, but to Bernie, uh, you know, when he was running against Hillary, there was a fire, a passion for him, and uh, people didn't want to see it. And I remember back then I went to go – I was told, you know – I was a young, you know, supervisor at Town of Grand Island, and they said, "You better get out there and support Bernie or support Hillary. She's coming to town. We want you there." I said, and, "You know, I didn't know anything. I get maybe this is the first time I, I uh, uh, scraped my knee with the party." I said, "I'm not going. I support Bernie." Um, they said, "You better go." And I said, "Okay, it's, maybe it's a good opportunity for my family to see Hillary." So I went, and we took a quick photograph with her, and it was fun. My family, my kids got to see what we thought was going to be the next or the first female president. And uh, they used that picture for like two years for all of the local Democratic Party. Because, um, you know, my family is a, is a multiracial family. My wife's from Korea. And it was a very good picture with Hillary. And I, when I saw it, I was like, oh, I support Bernie. I didn't want to see the picture in all these flyers. But, um, it, but you know, strange story. But but the the story I want to say is there was definitely, even on the local level like that, a institutional bias against Bernie. 
And anyone who says to me it's not the case, I experienced it even as a local supervisor. It's the case there, it was <laughs> amongst a lot of people who are yes. high in the party. Yes. And like I have a lot of respect and love, even love for Bernie and what he's represented and what he's done for this country. And, uh, you know, I think the Democratic Party is a better party today because of Bernie Sanders. And I'm sorry that he was uh, consistently maligned and still is. Yeah. And I, the thing is, what's good is he's the chairman of the budget committee, which seems like the most we'll get from him because he's not going to be able to be the president. Uh, and the other thing I have to say is, thankfully, President Biden has moved left, has been able to work with now Senator Sanders, and they're look at what we're getting done. We're we're getting great things done, and that that's that unity. That's they came together, right? They formed two teams, and they said, "Talk to each other. How are we going to figure this out? What's the platform going to be?" Yeah, he came and influenced Biden's platform. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. That's what has to happen, though. All of us have to be able to have this conversation because, look, uh, to everyone who's running a party, um, I'm never going to stop fighting for young people. Nate's not going to stop. Austin's not going to stop. Alex Hammond's not going to stop. All these people have ran for – Austin and Alex ran for office first. As I've said in the other podcast, these people are – we are coming and you're not going to stop us because mm. guess what? We know how to get on the ballot now. We know what we're doing. Well, and, we also and, we also know the party establishment is uh, it's uh, it's not that established. <laughs> you know, you can easily get on the ballot and run, and they try to make it seem like it's impossible. It's completely doable. And again, they have access to things like contacts in the Buffalo News and elsewhere that can belie you or paint you in a bad way, but. As long as you're doing what's right, the honest man fears nothing. If you're honest and and your heart is clear and you do the right thing, you can you can make a big difference. And but back but back to Bernie for a second. Bernie never won. Williams, Jennings, Bryant, uh, you know, a hundred years earlier never won either. But there would never be an FDR without a William Jennings Bryant and what he stood for. And God knows all the people that Bernie Sanders influenced and what they will bring, including the current president who's in. You know, had a lifelong politics. So, you know, I, I yes, to, to, to Ravo's point, you know, I'm not going to – for my entire life, I'll continue to fight for what I believe in. And that includes pushing candidates and people who haven't run and people who are outsiders to run. And I, I encourage anybody out there to get involved and run, and you can do it. Maybe reach out to Ravo. Maybe he'll help you out. Yeah, and I appreciate that. And, um, you know, to people who are running parties, work with us. Work with us. Don't work against us. Don't work against progressive ideals. Work with us. And look, we're willing to work with you too, by the way. Uh, we're not just going to kick down the door. We're going to be able to work with you. We can have unity, but you have to show us the unity as well. And and because we're coming no matter what is the thing. Well, they're, they're, I don't think they're going to. <laughs> not to be a – let me explain why. Especially on the local level, not the national. Like some of the people on the national level are fantastic. Like they're, I don't want to paint them all with the same brush. But the problem on the local level is it's money, it's jobs, and when you're in a place with so few jobs, like Western New York and the Democratic chair, but some some Democratic chairs like Cindy Appleton out there in uh, Wyoming County, she doesn't get a penny. All she does is work and get no thanks and. You know, you know, it's just not all chairs are made the same, but in some places like Erie County, like the guy makes a substantial amount of money from his various roles. And more than that, he has power. 
And what is the power? The power to give out jobs, lots of jobs. They influence jobs in all different types of organizations across Erie County. And in the place with the worst job market in the world, in the country rather, that's a huge advantage to create party loyalty and discipline, even when the wrong decisions are being made. So, and for a guy like Ravo saying, hey, work with me, we believe in the same thing, we can work together. I don't know if they believe, all these people believe in those same things, Ravo. I think what you need to do is humble them and take the power from them. Say, look, at, we're going to run against you, we're going to beat you. And it's not impossible, it's happening all over the country. The One of the most famous examples is definitely uh, AOC. I mean, people, the regular people, like the people listening to this and your friends, they're progressives, Okay. They want change. They understand that America has fundamentally changed. And for young people to have a shot the same way their parents did, we need, you know, we need a, a new vision for America. And, uh, and so those people will vote, especially in a primary. Don't think because I lost in Ruby Red NY27 that you can't win in a 50-50 or blue-leaning district, especially in a, in, a, in a Democratic primary. You can absolutely win. Like what I did in NY27 is crazy. Like, and I was so naive in politics, like running in a, in a district where there's so many more conservatives and Republicans and Democrats thinking, hey, you know, I can win them over with a little bit of moxie. That's that's nuts. But running in a place like, you know, uh, Chictawaga, maybe, or Orchard Park or something like that, or New Rochelle or something, you know, someplace where it's a little bit more even, you can win a primary and you can win the seat. And don't let anybody say you can't, and you don't have to kiss anybody's ring, and you don't have to take a job with the county. You don't got to do any of that stuff. You can do it on your own. It's not going to be easy because there's all that loyalty that people buy with those jobs, with those uh, those uh, uh, crony jobs, but it can be done. And especially if you keep doing what you're doing, Ravo, and keep building a base like this. That's how you do it. Yeah, and we're going to get that. Everybody listen. We will get there. Uh whether people like it or not, it's going to happen. Um, so my next question would be – Sorry to talk gear off, Revo. It's just fun to talk about. I haven't no, – get my uh, political uh, gears going again. <laughs> <laughs> you're totally fine. Not at all. Um, you're good. The, the next question I would have is with key issues like UBI, uh, green energy solutions, universal health care, how are we going to get those accomplished? Um, how do we reach out to people throughout the country and get those get those fifteen dollar minimum wage? How well, do we I think for for me, I have a big advantage. I think from a perspective, I I, I overseas for a long time, and I have the advantage of saying, well, I see how other nations have done some of these things, and uh, I know we can do better. We are the only developed country that doesn't have universal health care. The only one. And Medicare for all isn't socialist uh, style. It, that would be what they have in the UK, complete, so completely socialized medicine. Medicare for, for all is actually a halfway step, somewhere between a fully capitalist system like the United States or nearly fully and, and what they have in the UK. But the UK is still a capitalist country that has believed that you know, healthcare for every single citizen is a priority. And in that country, what do you have? There's not even the most conservative politician in the UK would ever run against um, the National Health Service. Their prime Never. minister. He he loves it. He he bangs the drum for it all the time. 
because everybody loves it. They know it's, they know you can't, this is something that should be a, a human right. And, and so like, yes, like, why do you think you're worse than every developed country in the world? And guess what? Most people agree that we should have some proper universal health care. Uh, there we've been conditioned to think that maybe our, we have changed the, what we call it because now they've, they've maligned the words Medicare for all so much. But every, most people believe that universal health care is what we should have. The way they've tricked people is to think, hey, if we create this more, they, like people that are on uh, Medicare, they don't want, they love it. They just don't want to lose it, what they have. And, they, and they've been told if they expand it, they expand Medicare, it's going gonna, it's gonna to ruin the Medicare that people already have. They, they do these little very cunning, sly lies to undermine people's faith. But we, I believe that healthcare is a human right. Um, green energy and the Green New Deal, again, they've, they, what does the Green New Deal mean? No one can even define it. But to the average person in Y27, if you ask them, they think it means some type of communist state where they're not allowed to drive their car, uh, which is, you know, it's really good to destroy something. It's harder to sell something and say, no, this is a good opportunity. What the Green New Deal really means is catching up to China and catching up to Western Europe who are going to leapfrog us, meaning pass us in technology for these areas if we don't continue to invest. And what the Green New Deal could mean is a more efficient military. It can mean a more productive workforce. It can mean lower utility bills for your house. Not only does it mean fighting climate change, it means practical solutions for your life. And so, so the real answer to making these people people understand this, I think, is number one, you got we have to educate everyone working together and tell them, look at we only want what other civilized countries have, or you know, developed countries have. The our peers have. And we like, you know, Japan, Korea, the UK, you know, almost all of Western Europe, every developed country has healthcare for all. Why don't we? And the second thing is our competitors and our rivals are developing these technologies. We better figure it out ourselves. And there's one other thing you asked. Oh, UBI. UBI is a little bit more difficult to sell because it really doesn't exist in full form anywhere. But what I say to people is we are the most developed country in the world. We were once upon a time the most forward thinking country in the world. Why aren't we the ones experimenting with things like UPI? Why are we leaving it up to these Western European countries to do it? Especially when we have, what is one of the biggest incomes for people in Western New York? It's, just, it's harder to talk about, but it's... Is it social it's some, security? It's disability, yes. Yeah. So you have thousands and thousands of people, not just here, but across America, who already are, are receiving some form of UBI. You know, really, which is what is it? What that what that is? The only thing is, they have to be disabled or claim disability to get it, which takes all these people off the workforce, makes them less productive. So, what if we figure out a way to handle that problem, but also inspire people to find additional work? Let's let's in a practical perspective. Let's say you were a guy who did have limited capacity because you had um, some type of injury, so you were on disability. So you receive disability payments, but you could work for a limited time every single week. As long if you knew you weren't going to lose your disability, which, you're, which is your lifeline to having a house and a warm place to live, you would certainly go and find go work at a you know local shop or something to make a few extra bucks. So, like if you look at these things from a practical perspective, which I always try to do. I'm not an evangelist. I don't want to sell or persuade people or convert people. I just want things to get better for regular people. So that's what I've always tried to do when I ran for office. And I'll be honest, I never had a problem with the issues. 
and it, people usually don't even really vote on the issues. It seems like to me, they vote on party affiliation. That's number one. I, they want to keep the seat red or stick with the team. And number two, they work with character. They, they vote based on character assassination, sadly. And that's why these negative ads are so powerful. Yeah. And I think with UBI, just to comment on that, talk about something to be proud to be an American. Um, and you can see Andrew Yang talking about just how proud would people be if they had that extra thousand dollars a month? My God, like, yeah, they, it would give you it would give you dignity because you know that you're not going to lose everything. It would give it would create a social safety net. Um, and if people think, well, wow, we can't just give away money, we give away money all the time. Corporations, right? (laughs) Massive. I'm just treat these individuals as also an investment in the future of our country, and say, look, if we if we invest in our people, it'll unlock, it'll it'll unlock entrepreneurial spirits and creativity, and will transform our society. And how it actually is is done in practice, we'll have to figure out. I give great credit to Andrew Yang for popularizing the idea. And he's another one, by the way. He, uh, you know, even during the last election, the special election, where people think we did, thought we didn't have a chance, he would uh, send me little texts and you know, hang in there, Nate, keep fighting, kind of stuff. And he's a, he's a great guy. That's awesome. Uh, <laughs> the the other the other question I would have now is, um, what are your favorite moments from the last couple of years running? Um, I know you probably have a lot. I know one year just. Two years in politics now, there's so many moments, especially when we were able to campaign. It was just friendships for life, and so many good things came of it. But what were some of your favorite moments, maybe a story or two that you really love from the campaigns well, you ran? Well, I, one of my all-time favorite movies is Rocky. And out of nowhere, Talia Shire from the Rocky movies and the Godfather movies come into uh, – to, uh, to campaign with me against Chris Collins was was surreal. Um, I mean, it was crazy. First, it was just so much fun to be with her, and she's such an interesting character. And you know, like I remember seeing the Godfather movies or Godfather Three, where she's like all glammed out, and, like wearing like these sparkly robes and stuff. And like me and her would be going to Seven Eleven and buying Monster Energy drinks for the team. <laughs> <laughs> so, That's like, amazing. I, and we still text and talk all the time. And then she's, it was, you know, her, she was really like, people think, oh, she came work to your campaign. No, no. She came and actually like hung out and lived with us for a good month. And it was every single day she was with us walking in parades, riding in fire trucks and just a fun, really good lady. And just, a, just, you know, and it was kind of fun. Like, you know, her fame, her family is so famous and, she would openly share really interesting, fun stories when Carly would lore and stuff and just a, just a fun to be around. So, but like going to get monster energy drinks with Talia Shire is something I'll never forget. Um, the second, I would say uh, another fun moment was my debate against Chris Jacobs. Now, again, I worked for his family and I spent, you know, I know them. I didn't want to fight those guys, even though you, I don't have a lot of things I have in sync with them. You know, you know, I spent time with these people, uh, not him, but his his cousins. And, uh, you know, there was some trepidation of getting on a stage and saying to him the things I needed to say. And you probably saw that debate. I was harsh. I was strong willed. I yelled at him and uh, lots of people were mad at me. They said I was too 
I said I was too angry. But again, I was fighting for things I cared about. The, you know, he called Black Lives Matter radical. He praised Trump. He said, you know, praised his handling of COVID. And it seems like, of course, I said the things I said, if you go back and look at that debate. But saying them in that moment was, it was um, risky and uh, daring and took some courage. And if I can say I'm proud of what I said and what I did, uh, I am. I think there was that, there was a, some, when I got on that stage, I felt a moment of, man, I should play it safe. These are powerful people. And, you know, a lot of people like Trump and I'm, I'm maybe let's take it easy. A lot of people are going to see this debate. And I didn't, I, I said what I needed to say. Maybe I was a little bit rough, but guess what? Every union hall I've ever been to since they cheered me and said, thank you for letting them have it in that debate. So that was a big moment for me. Um, what else? Uh, yeah, those are those things that come off the top of my head. But in general, the inter- I, you know, the demolition derby was pretty fun too. I gotta admit. <laughs> <laughs> but like, but going to all these towns, just the general, like, I loved running for office. People are like, why did you run for office for such a long time, in in such an area? Well, again, I was gone for years, so in some ways, the privilege of spending hundreds of thousands of miles maybe I, I don't even know i mean we, we've destroyed three cars on the campaign trail for so many years integrating myself into every nook and cranny of western new york um meeting so many people learning about so many people um you know it's an invaluable experience i will never forget it and you know so many people don't get that chance to stand up for what they believe in i've stood up for what i believe in in every single corner of western new york and I did it the way you're supposed to do it. I didn't just do it with commercials or money. I did it with uh, shoe leather. So, you know, to those who are listening, do it. There's nothing. It's, it's, it's the most worthwhile thing you can do. I will say, though, I was a small town supervisor before I ran for Congress. And, man, that was, that was, it was more rewarding than running for Congress. Being a small town leader, you can really make an impact. I've, I learned that firsthand because when you're in an executive role rather than in a legislative role, man, you can make an influence immediately in your small in your town. So, like I'm, when I say run for office, I'm, guys, I'm not just talking about running for Congress or running for something like that. Run for town council. If you do it and you do it with the right passion, man, it. I, I look back at my time as town supervisor with just my heart full of gratitude. Sometimes I think I should have stayed as town supervisor. I loved it so much. My heart was such full of such gratitude for what I was able to accomplish and um, just the opportunity to serve my town like that. So, you know, overall politics, I, you know, in the beginning we talked about the negative side of it, and there is a negative side of it because, it, you know, people say politics is terrible for a reason. It is kind of terrible. But it is also kind of magical and wonderful too And because if you're doing it for the right reasons um, – it's it's the one of the best things you could ever do in your whole life. Yeah, I definitely agree. To see like the hope in people's eyes of like this guy's going to do it. Um, also about the debate, I I just want to say like my whole family geared up all day for that debate, and we we have like a TV, a big TV outside during the summer. And uh, I hooked up my laptop to it, and it was, like, my dad and my mom, my girlfriend and I. And it was, like, a Tyson fight. Like, you, we, <laughs> we all knew that you were going to knock him out. Like, we all knew that, like, you were going to win and that it was going to – but it was amazing. Like, personally, that was 
that was unbelievable to see because it was truly great and truly had that rocky feel to it and Tyson feel as well because you know right from the start I always I always say you know why do these why do these people hold back like just come out and destroy the guy because or or the girl it, you I really have was the, to do I, that. I was so angry I, like I probably should have chilled out a little bit maybe a little but I loved it it looked I, that's right in my name when I came out Austin was out there and by the way Austin if you're listening I love you buddy you're a wonderful guy um, but I came, Austin was with me and I came, he was with me, me and my son and I came out and he's like, that was awesome. Cause I was like, uh, you know, I, you don't know. Cause you're on the stage just saying what you got to say. But like, I never forget how scared Chris looked Jacobs. And after it was over, this is not on tape. I said to him, Chris, you didn't have to sell out to beat me. You didn't have to do this. You sell out to Trump. Why would you do that? And he wouldn't make eye contact with me. He folded his papers out and tried to get away, try to walk out the other way. Wow. He, he, but, he, but the thing is, you can look at that tape. He looked physically shaken by what was happening. Because I don't think he's ever talked like, to that like in his life. But here's the thing. He better get used to it because I know a lot of his friends, and they've showed me messages they've sent to him since. And they said, I'm so disappointed by the way what you've become. You know, like I, and I think we all are. I mean, I didn't want to see, you know, anybody do what he's done, which has become such a pawn, really. Uh, and, and, and just such an opportunist. But, you know, anyway, thank you for saying those nice things about the debate. It was, a, it was a, a moment, obviously, I'm proud of. Yeah. And it, that was, that's a very interesting story to hear that too. Just, he, he just, he can't even talk about it because he knows that he's in the wrong he's he knows that he's wrong what he's doing um but he has to yeah yeah i mean so basically my last question would be what do you want your legacy to be in politics and um what what do you want it to be going forward do you think that there could be another potential run coming up i know you started a pack is that am i correct in saying that yeah we started a pack we haven't done any fundraising for it or anything um I mean, I want to prioritize and write in the book about what I see as the as the some of the stuff we've talked about. But I mean, there's major problems with the democratic process that need to be changed, and from fundraising to um, to gerrymandering, because like places like NY27 should not exist. Uh, there's issues with the system that we could change. Um, would I run again? Absolutely. I, I don't have any plans right now. I mean. Again, this is just good and bad. The bad is I lost a lot of money. I lost a lot of personal contacts. And people should consider those things before they run. I mean, we lost, my family took a real hit running for office. And we spent three years, a big sacrifice. So, I, you know, I, can, I need to be a dad for a while. But if you can hear the in my voice, I have a passion for America and a passion for service and for the ideas we're talking about. And, you know, I got a heck of a lot of support still. Uh, there's support. I mean, that's one of the things that keeps me going. People still come up to me and still email me and say, thank you for running. And of course that won't last forever if I'm not in the spotlight, but you know, I'm pretty confident in my ability to, to get people excited about something again. And when I'm excited again, yes, I'll, I'll, I'll push to get something going. Uh, if, if I have a legacy, I hope it's a legacy that says you don't have to, you don't have to shy from your beliefs and you need to be brave and stand for what you believe in. And I, I'm very, very proud. Um, it was hard in the, in the moment, but looking back, I'm very proud that in a moment of crisis in this country, um, 
I didn't sell out. I didn't do what my company wanted to do me to do. I didn't do what the the party wanted me to shut up about Trump. I was told many times by political leaders locally that I was hurting them by talking about Trump too much. Um, but I felt in my heart that this is something I had to talk about. And I felt that Trump was an existential threat. And when that article came out in the nation saying the man who wants to un-Trump upstate, I was proud of that. I'm still proud of that headline. And I think if I have a legacy, it's the, it's still the guy who wants to un-Trump up, upstate and to uh, give it a better vision. What's the vision? What is the vision I would like to see people like you and others bring to Western New York? It's uh, aspirational vision. I mean, this is a place where we had progressive values. Uh, Frederick Douglass, and Susan B. Anthony, all these, the Niagara movement, the predecessor to the NAACP, all these amazing, the Underground Railroad, uh, just a history of culture and new ideas. And we, I'd like to revive that. But more importantly, I think we need to invest in America. And, uh, you know, from broadband. I and mean, when I was, if you look at what I really am, who I really am, look at the stuff I did when I was a small town supervisor. I was about creating opportunity and investing in new technology, whether it's broadband or, you know, we try to get a community center built and we invested in old buildings that were taken apart. I'm about progress, not just in social ideas, but in ideas that actually help Western New York. I'll tell you right now, if I was the king of the world, we got, we got Niagara Falls. Niagara Falls is one of the biggest resources in the, in the world. I, it, it's an amazing natural wonder, and we take it for granted. Yeah. In any house I ever went to all around the world, you saw a picture of somebody next to Niagara Falls. Niagara Falls, we always talked about making it into a real true, tourist destination. I think you should make it into a natural wonder. That should be the Yosemite of the, of the East Coast. Make it a place where you can camp and stay and enjoy and, and participate in nature. And I think that, West, that, the, that Buffalo needs broadband, number one. It really needs broadband. So people would live here. And if you're in the era of COVID, we're going to start working more remotely after this is even over. Broadband is number one. And number two, you got to invest in, 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 in big ticket infrastructure. And one of those things, and people are afraid to talk about it because it's, it has never happened, is a, is a better peace bridge. They should have a signature, signature peace bridge that connects us to Canada. That's the future. And it's been something that people have forgotten about or given up on. But those are two things that I care about. So... You know, so I started to talk a lot about it, but those are the things I would push. And would I run again? Absolutely. Um, when the time's right, when I'm when I'm ready, uh, you know, you'll know it. Yeah. And like I said in the beginning, you've inspired so many people to run, um, myself included one day. And just the impact you've already made and the impact you will continue to make and your future impact will will always be felt um, by Western New York and pe young people all over, especially. So thank you. Uh, thank you so much for coming on, Nate. I really, truly appreciate it. And I had a great time. So thank you. One last word. Be hopeful, everybody. I mean, there's more good than bad. And, you know, seeing young guys like Bravo and Austin and, you know, people like that getting involved in politics. I, you know, my dream is that you guys all run and win, so I don't ever have to do it again. That'd be great. <laughs> you, I hope all you guys keep going and do it and so I can get back and just enjoy all your hard work. And I think, I really think, if the youth of this country and this region take control and start to push for the ideas, which most of you share with me, um, that America has a very, very bright future. So, and I'll leave it at that.
There's a new world coming And it's just around the bend There's a new world coming This one's coming to an end There's a new voice calling You can hear it if you try And it's growing stronger With every day that passes by Yeah, yeah, yeah There's a brand new opening Rising clear and sweet and free There's a new day dawning That belongs to you and me Yes, a new world's coming You know the one I'm talking about The one we've had visions of And it's coming in peace Coming in joy Coming in peace, coming in joy, coming peace, coming in joy. 